Wonderful. Great to be with you. Uh, welcome to the couple of uh, visitors that we've got this morning. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Johnny. I'm the minister here. It's great to have you with us. And it's great to be back after Christmas and New Year. Hope you had a, an enjoyable Christmas and, uh, and a great New Year. As you might be able to tell by the sound of my voice, I came down with a cold after Christmas. So I was doing really well. I, uh, I lasted till Christmas, was kind of feeling fine. We, uh, we were hosting loads of family around at our house. We had all of Anna's family around, and uh, we, had, so we had a house full of people, very busy Christmas day, and I was like, I am smashing this, haven't gone down with an illness. And then we went away to see some family uh, over in Norfolk just after Christmas. And as we were traveling home on the, uh, on the 29th of December, you know you get that feeling where you just go, oh, I'm coming down with something. It was that, and it was a bit grim, really. So uh, I um, spent the first half of my Christmas holidays you know, enjoying mulled wine, and the second half enjoying Lemsip. So um, anyway, this today is, uh, is Epiphany Sunday in the church calendar. Um, so Anna mentioned at the beginning that traditionally on, uh, on this Sunday in the church calendar, we celebrate the arrival of the wise men or the magi, as the Bible calls them. Epiphany is actually tomorrow, the 6th of January, but this is the closest Sunday to it. And that word epiphany means, I don't know if you ever use that in conversation, we don't tend to use that word all that often, but it means revelation, okay? To have one's eyes unveiled, to see something new. And so Epiphany is celebrated in the church because the events surrounding it were immensely significant. The Magi, these wise men from the East, if you know the story, came to visit Jesus. We're going to read that together in just a moment. And um, the significant thing about that event was, as they travelled to Bethlehem and came to see that infant child, the baby Jesus, with his parents, it was like their eyes were opened. Something was drawn back. There was an unveiling. There was an epiphany moment for them where they recognized this child Jesus for who he really was. That story is significant in a bigger sense because the Magi, the wise men, were the first non-Jewish people to recognize and to acknowledge Jesus for who he was. So the message of Epiphany is really significant because it tells us that Jesus came not only for the Jews, the lost sheep of Israel, but Jesus came for the whole of humanity, for the whole of the world. I don't know if you've noticed this morning, those of you that have been very eagle-eyed, but in our crib scene, our nativity scene at the front, as if by magic, three wise men have now arrived. They weren't there before. Um, so um, I, I want to just firstly get something off my chest, okay, about this whole story about the Magi and the wise men, because it irritates me every Christmas, uh, particularly as a vicar. So I, I'm just going to share this with you to get it off my chest. I don't know if you've been to nativity plays or kind of that sort of thing or seen popular depictions of the nativity story over the last few weeks, but it always really irritates me that you get this lovely scene, we've kind of got it here, where you have the stable, Mary and Joseph, Jesus in the manger, the shepherds, you know, the oxen and the sheep and the three wise men. So much wrong with that, okay? First of all, 
we don't know there were three of them. We know that there were three gifts. We have no idea of the number of them. Secondly, they're often referred to as kings. They were not. They were astrologers. They were studiers of the stars. And thirdly, they did not arrive at the time that Jesus was born. They were traveling from the east and actually arrived, well, we don't know, certainly many weeks later, possibly months, possibly even up to a year or two later. But there is a significant gap anyway between when the shepherds arrive and Jesus is born and when the Magi arrive quite some time later, which is why we celebrate it today on Epiphany Sunday, not on Christmas Day. So that's my Scrooge moment and wanted to get that just out there because I'm one of those people that sits in nativity plays and is like, that's not correct. That's, you know, so I'm, I'm one of those like really boring people. So do you want to be, t- <laughs> yeah, you can pray for me later. <laughs> so, so why does Matthew give us this Bible story that we're going to come and read in just a moment? Um, I want you to think back, if you can, to just before Christmas, to those of you that were here, we looked at the story that was also from Matthew's Gospel about when the angel appeared to Joseph and told him that Mary was indeed pregnant with the Messiah, with the Son of God. And one of the questions that I asked you then was, why did Matthew choose to write about this story? Why has it been included um, in, in the Bible? What is it that Matthew is trying to do in telling this story? And if you remember, one of the things that I said back then was that Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience, okay? His readership were Jewish. They knew their Old Testament scriptures really well. And Matthew is wanting to say to his audience, this guy, Jesus, this baby that has been born in the city of David in Bethlehem is the real deal. You know all the prophecies. You know all that's been said about him. This is it. This is him. And you need to pay attention and you need to focus and you need to listen up because the fulfillment of God's promises is now here. So let's have a look at that passage, shall we? Um, We're going to read from uh, Matthew chapter 2. And if you've got a church Bible on the tables in front of you, you can find that on page 966. um, Or feel free to find it on your phone or um, other device if you want. And we're going to read Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses. So here we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's All the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route." Okay, what do we notice in that story? So the Magi, these wise men, these astrologers from the East, have been traveling and following this highly unusual star that's been shining in the sky, and they enter the land of Judea. Now, what do they do upon entering the land of Judea? They do what any self-respecting traveler of that time would have done, which is to seek an audience with the one who is the ruler of that jurisdiction, which in this instance was King Herod. Now, King Herod, to say the least, was a, a, a sinister character, let's say. And you can read elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel some of the things that Herod did to the Jewish people. But Herod is a sinister character, nevertheless installed to be in charge of the land of Judea. So the wise men, the Magi, go and visit him. But here's the thing about Herod. Herod was a puppet king. Herod had been installed by the Roman Empire really to pacify the Jews. He was installed there to look like a king so that the Roman Empire could say, well, the Jewish people have their own king, they have their own representation. But in, in reality, he answered to Rome. He was not Israel's true king. He was a puppet king and he was a fraud. And by all accounts, when you read the gospel narratives, Herod was an incredibly paranoid individual. Why? Because Herod knew the Jewish prophecies about one who would come as the true king of the Jews, one who would come to save God's people. And so Herod is deeply paranoid because here he is, the king of the Jews, and yet he knows in his heart of hearts he is an imposter. Let's take a look at verses 1 and 2. So Jesus has been born in Bethlehem in Judea and Magi from the east come to visit him. And here's the question that those Magi choose to ask King Herod. It's an astonishing question. They ask him, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Because we saw his star in the east and we've come to follow him and to worship him. Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? I want you to imagine this for a moment. Here is King Herod, the self-styled King of the Jews, in all his pomp and majesty and splendor. And magi, influential, powerful men from the east, come to him and say... So, um, King Herod, where's the one who's been born to be the king of the Jews, they say, to the one who calls himself the king of the Jews? You can see how that would make him a little bit uncomfortable, can't you? A little bit uneasy. Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And Herod is affronted because he knows the prophecies about the Jewish king. He knows the prophecies about God's chosen one. And he knows he ain't it. So the Magi journey on past King Herod. They come to Bethlehem where Mary and Joseph 
and the infant Jesus are. They bring those gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and they worship him. They worship Jesus Christ. Here, folks, is the rub. Here is the issue for us as we come to this story 2,000 years later. Picture this for a moment. In the one corner, you have King Herod with the full might of the Roman Empire behind him. He looks like a king. He is powerful. He comes in kingly robes. And he can, with the backing of Rome, command armies and enforce taxes. He looks, for all intents and purposes, like a powerful individual. He stands in the one corner. In the other corner, we have this child, the so-called king of the Jews, born in a manger in a backwater town to unremarkable and unknown parents. Now, if you were faced with those two people and you were a betting person, who would your money be on to be the true king? Where would you put money in terms of where power lay, where influence lay, where majesty lay. Who would, you, who would you pit for? And Matthew, when he writes his gospel, sticks with this theme. Because when we come to the end of the life of Jesus, at the end of Matthew's account, we find him, 33 years later, hanging on a cross sentenced to crucifixion and what is nailed above his head as he hangs on the cross a sign that Pontius Pilate has put up there mockingly king of the Jews and here Matthew presents us with the same dilemma here you have the most powerful army the most powerful empire that the world has ever seen they crucify people at a whim they command vast armies they control huge swathes of the globe here they are and here is this 33 year old man pathetic hanging on a cross breathing his last and the question being posed to us is where does power lie who is the true king? In whom are you going to put your confidence, your faith, your hope? Who is going to command your allegiance? And so all the way through the story of Jesus, this dilemma, this choice is presented to us. Who are you going to choose? Who's the true king? Where is real power? And many people looked at Jesus and concluded well, he don't much look like a king. He doesn't really look like somebody who is powerful. He doesn't conform to my notion of power and authority and majesty. So he's not for me. And some recognized him. The Magi, at the beginning of the story, men of great wisdom, recognize Jesus Christ as the true king. Fast forward to the end of the story. It's Luke that tells us this in his gospel. You might remember it. Jesus, as he's being crucified, is flanked by two criminals. One mocks him and hurls insults at him. The other one turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
He recognizes this is the true king. Do you this morning recognize the true king? That is such a pertinent question for us as 2020 dawns and as we enter into a new year and a new decade. Do you recognize the one who is the true king? And it matters because some of the competition, as it were, some of the alternatives, some of the counterfeit kings look pretty powerful. They look pretty impressive. And everybody else seems to be following them. And everybody else seems to be giving them their allegiance. And everybody else seems to have been taken in by them. Do you recognize the true king? The thing in our own culture and in our own society is that so often these kings and these kingdoms are not as obvious as they seem in the biblical accounts. They're often not literal kings and literal kingdoms. They are much more subtle than that. These are ideologies and they are opinions and they are ways of living and they're stories that our culture and that our media tells us and their worldviews and their ways of doing things. And as Christians, we need tremendous discernment and tremendous wisdom to be able to see all of that and sift all the opinions and all the stuff that we get bombarded with in life, to sift all of that and to recognize the message from God and to recognize the message from the true king amongst all the counterfeits. We had in this country just a few weeks ago a general election. This year in the United States, there is a presidential election. Many of you may, may or may not know that in our denomination, the Church of England, this year, we elect new people to the Church of England's parliament, if you like, which is the General Synod. And in all of those arenas, huge decisions are being made and different stories and different narratives and different opinions and ways of seeing things are going to come collide sliding into each other and be presented. And we need wisdom to be able to discern where Jesus is, what Jesus is saying, and what the true king would have us do. I don't know if you remember a number of years ago uh, when I was growing up, people used to have these bracelets that said WWJD on them, what would Jesus do? And it's a really good question to ask, what would Jesus do when you come to make a big decision or you're in a relationship and, you know, whatever, what would Jesus do? The problem with that question was that human beings being what we are, we tend to kind of construct an image of Jesus in our mind and he becomes our version of Jesus, right? So surprise, surprise, when we ask the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus act? The answer to that question is, well, he would do what I would do. He would think what I would think. He would say what I would say. Because what we've done is, we've actually created a false Jesus who is a figment of our imagination, who just conforms to all of our opinions, rather than coming to the Bible and seeking the truth. Jesus. And we see this all over our society and all over our culture. So to give you a couple of examples, 
just within the realm of politics that we've seen this year, on the right of British politics and in US politics as well, a number of people have kind of wanted to co-opt Jesus and say, Jesus is on our side, right? We've got a monopoly on God. He's over here. And if you believe in God, you've got to vote for this party because this is the Christian party. And in the US, what that often means is that, surprise, surprise, Jesus is a card-carrying Republican, which I didn't know because that's not in the Bible. But, you know, that, that's the narrative that is often sold to us. And that is dangerous, deeply, deeply dangerous. Because what we risk doing is worshipping human leaders instead of God. But it happens equally on the other end of politics, in the liberal and left end of politics, where what we want to do is to kind of rebrand Jesus. Because Jesus is a little bit un-PC, and he's a little bit sort of, some of the things he said are a little bit unpopular, and they don't quite chime with where we're at in the 21st century. And so what we do is we, we revise Jesus, and we, um, we sort of come up with a new version of Jesus who conforms to our progressive views, particularly, I have to say at the moment, on contentious issues around sexuality and around gender. You know, it's very easy just to make Jesus in our own image. And the, the message that we spin out is, well, Jesus just loves you and Jesus just accepts you as you are and you don't need to change and he doesn't require you to do anything. Just come as you are and stay as you are. And the thing is, Jesus never said that or anything like it. And so in both camps, we run the risk of just constructing a Jesus in our own image rather than seeking the true king. Here's the uncomfortable truth for us. Jesus ain't left-wing or right-wing. He ain't conservative or liberal. He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not conservative. He's not Tory. He's not whatever box you want to put him in. He doesn't conform to your opinions. He won't fit in your box. He won't affirm your lifestyle choices unquestioningly. He won't fit into your preferences. Jesus comes on his own terms. And the question is, will we accept him and will we seek him? C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and all those stories, said in one of his novels of Aslan, he's not a tame lion. That is true of the king. That is true of Jesus. He is not tame. He is the king and he is the Lord and he is the real deal. And here's the question for us in 2020. The question is not, is Jesus on your side? The question is, are you on his? Are you on his? Do you recognize him? And in this new year, 2020, and in this new decade, will we as a church make a decision to seek the true king? to recognize him, to give our loyalty and our allegiance to him, to have wisdom, to notice the counterfeits that set themselves up against him, and to make Jesus in charge, to give him the lordship of our lives over everything else, all the other voices, all the other influences, all the other things that would want to have our allegiance and our loyalty. The thing that the Magi did in that story, having been to King Herod, was... They kept going. They didn't stop in Jerusalem and worship him. They pressed on to Bethlehem to the feet of the true king. And when they found him, they worshipped him.
And friends, that's the challenge, I think, for us this year. Will we press on to the true king? And when we find him, will we give him everything we've got and all that we are? And will we worship him? Let's stand together and pray. Uh, And if the band could come up, that would be great. We're going to sing a song in just a moment called The King of My Heart. And in many ways, it's quite a challenging song for us to sing because we're asking Jesus, will he come and will he be the Lord, the boss, the master, the king of our hearts? Um, Would you like to just close your eyes for a moment? And I want you to, uh, to think and maybe to be, to be critical about this. What are the other competing voices in your life? Who are the other people? What are the other opinions, the other worldviews? What are the, all the other things? There might be peer pressure. They might be coming from school or from work or from family or from the media, from the world of politics, whatever it might be. What are the other stories? What are the other voices that are saying to you, sign up, follow us, believe this? Are you prepared to press on beyond those voices and find the true king? Are you willing to make him the Lord of your life and hold nothing back? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and convict us? Holy Spirit, would you come now and give us wisdom and discernment to be able to sift all that is thrown at us and recognize the voice of Jesus, recognize your call. Some of you may feel just a need to lay some stuff down, to repent of things that you've bought into, to almost like retune your mind and your heart to the voice of Jesus when it's been flooded with so many others. some of you at the beginning of this new year may either for the first time or in a new way want to say I am giving my heart now wholly and completely to Jesus the true king and if that is you what I'd love to invite you to do is just to nudge somebody next to you and and say would you pray for me might be that actually this is a kind of a recommitment. 2019 was not a great year for you in terms of your walk with God and you want to say this year is different, this is a new page, this is a clean slate and I want to make Jesus Lord. Today is a good a day as any to make that decision so if that is you, just nudge somebody in your group um, we're, all, um, we're all prayers here so just nudge somebody that you're sat there and say, could, could you just pray for me? Because I want to make a decision this morning. And as we pray for each other and as we examine our hearts, we're going to sing this song and together as a church, make that decision again. 
to make Jesus king of our hearts. So let's worship. <laughs>